I think a lot of people look at the title or look at the money. For me, I was always looking at the fit because I knew as you take a step up the ladder, the money is going to come. Innovation is solving a problem. And most of those problems are usually identified by fans, quite frankly, because they're going through the customer experience. I'd say the number one way to, to make more money, move up in this industry, is being able to I think it's the single most important thing. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. There is a strategy to everything you do. A plan you create, either consciously or subconsciously, to achieve a goal. If you want to get hired in the sports industry, you put together a broad strategy to gain the right skills and experience, build a network, master your resume, and refine your interviewing skills. And then you layer in tactics, the actual steps you will take under each of those categories. If you want to build a brand on social media, you'll identify your goals, set measurement metrics, identify your target audience, and develop a content plan. Strategies happen everywhere. So now imagine for a second, you are the chief strategy officer for the Florida Panthers, like today's guest, Sam Dorr. Broadly stated, his job is to identify and vet strategic revenue opportunities, asking himself and his team, does this make sense for us as an organization? And if so, how do we make it a reality? As we discuss the current state of the sports biz, innovation is all around us. We're talking about things like NFTs, names, image, and likeness, AI, paperless transactions. Sam and his team say, okay, but that doesn't mean everything new and shiny that hits the market makes sense for the Panthers to adopt. And that is what makes this conversation so interesting. Sam gives us deep insight into his process for understanding opportunity, what is most exciting on the market right now, and how they put their own creative Panthers-style spin on the game changers in the marketplace. It's a fascinating conversation. And if you're on the cutting edge of what's happening in the sports biz, this is an essential conversation because this is how the pros evaluate what's most important and most impactful at their organization. Here's Sam Dorr. So Sam, you and I talked a couple years ago and now we're bringing you back in a much different position as a chief strategy officer for the Florida Panthers. So congratulations and thank you for coming back on the show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to see you again. Yeah, this is exciting. This is fun because we had a really good conversation last time and a lot of the audience really gravitated towards the things you had to share. So I'm excited to do this again. Um, before we get into all the nuances of your role and you know what it means to be with the Panthers and where the league and the industry is headed, let's take a wide angle look. Um, we've all heard of CEOs, CFOs, CTOs, CMOs. You're the CSO. I like this. The chief strategy officer for the for the Panthers. What does that mean? What does that encompass for you? What would you consider your mission in this role? Yeah, I think to uh, one, you know, connect all of our departments, you know, together uh, to make sure we're, you know, speaking the same language. I think more now than than ever, even before, you know, two years ago, especially post COVID, um, you know, data analytics, um, making sure silos don't exist, uh, you know, because some people are still working from home or whatever it may look like. And so, look, my role is to make sure our um, our revenue streams are 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 open. They're working off of each other. We're maximizing uh, revenue, and then also, you know, working with our marketing departments, our social departments, even guest experience, whatever it might be, to ensure that uh, whatever our strategies are uh, in in those realms. 
um, are leading to revenue or are leading to to building the brand. So, you know, the core of everything we do is is numbers. But, you know, my job is to break down what those numbers mean uh, both now, uh, but probably most importantly in the future. I love this looking to the future point that you're bringing up. And it does feel like for us as a sports industry, the last couple of years have seen a lot of new premises and ideas and innovation. I mean, we're talking everything from NFTs to name, image, and likeness, the growth of esports, AI, just to name a few. There's a lot of things happening that you can see project out towards the future. For your role with the Panthers, you know, a lot of times we look at social media channels and say, well, what's worth our time? How do you approach that same thing of looking at a lot of these new innovations and saying, what makes sense for us as an organization? How do you approach these new opportunities? Yeah, I think it's a balance of a lot of different things. To me, you know, there's some things you want to be first on, right? Or that can really move the needle if you're first to market with it. Um, but there's other things, quite frankly, where I think it's best to take a back seat and how, see how it shakes out uh, before you jump into it, just because of the assets and resources that that some of these new initiatives uh, take and now more than ever, you know, some of our staffs are are lean and and probably I, I think it's better off. We don't work our staffs probably as hard um, kind of post COVID, uh, more of a work life balance, and I think that's important. And so, you know, to me on some of these new initiatives, um, you're balancing you know what the ROI is, um, you, but you're also balancing you know how much time and resources you're going to have to put into this, and is it worth it, or is that time and resource you know better spent with something else? And so. We're constantly evaluating um, things that are emerging, and then we're constantly, you know, trying to figure out too what what we can do that's unique that maybe hasn't been done before. Yeah, you guys really have been on the leading edge on a lot of these things, which is pretty cool to see. You know, we talk about revenue generation, but revenue is tied into the overall fan experience too, right? I mean, like all yeah, these things yeah. kind of fit back into revenue. It's not like its own silo, as you pointed out earlier, because fans are changing. Fan demands are changing. Fan expectations are changing. How important is innovation as we push into the future? Yeah, I think a lot of people hide behind the word, right? Because it's easy to say, but then you don't really know um, what it means. And I don't think you can innovate without listening uh, to the fans, to be quite frank. And so I think a lot of it's listening to, to what fans want, what they need, uh, you know, things, things that I, I think, um, I don't want to say frustrate me, but, you know, I sometimes laugh at are, um, you know, look at this cool, innovative new thing, but it doesn't really solve a problem. So to me, innovation is solving a problem. And most of those problems are usually identified by fans, quite frankly, because they're going through the, the fan journey, the customer experience. And so you can innovate all you want, but if your innovation is not solving a problem, it's more of a, you know, a nice to have um, than a need to have. Shiny and distraction so, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, anytime we're looking at innovation, um, I want it to be to solve a problem, you know, that our fans are having or we're internally having or our stakeholders are having. And so um, obviously COVID, you know, created a lot of that, right? Mobile wallets, mobile ordering. You know, there's a huge, you know, as, as you know, um, staffing issue right now, especially with part-time staff. We run our own F&B. And so getting enough people to... To work the food stands is difficult. So, you know, you're seeing more and more where um, kiosk ordering, et cetera. So, um, you know, to me, innovation is a broad term. The way I look at it is, you know, we want to innovate in areas that help solve fan problems, make fan lives easier. Um, and we use data to do that, right? Like if, you know, um, average basket size, right? Average transaction time, uh, the throughput, uh, you know, do we have too many people going to a certain stand? And if so, why is that the case? So, 
Um, you know, those are just F and B uh, examples. You know, we're we're looking at uh, you know we're in the South um, and hockey ice quality is an issue, uh, but you know getting fans in the building in a timely manner is an issue. So there's different things even on the the um, ingress side of things that we've looked at that could be you know considered uh, innovation. So I think whenever you're looking at it, it's to me the most uh, innovative things are are things that solve uh, an issue that fans have that hasn't been thought of before. So how hard is it when some of these, you know, new age concepts, I guess you'd call it modern concepts, NFTs, et cetera, how hard is it for yeah. you in this role to sometimes get stakeholder buy-in from executive level to have to explain the value of NFTs or any of these other opportunities and be able to really be able to communicate up? Like how important is that communication skill to be able to break it down into reasonable conversation? Yeah, no, I, I'm blessed. Our, our ownership team, um, our executive team is actually all in on this, right? They, they, I think actually our issue, believe it or not, is we have so many stakeholders uh, or, or staff um, that are so enamored um, with NFTs or Bitcoin or fan tokens, whatever it may be, <laughs> that you actually have to kind of rein them in to focus on, you know, the core principles of um, their job or our business, because those, you know, the reality of the situation is, you know, NFTs, some of these other categories, they're not huge revenue producing categories for us yet. Now they may be in the future. Um, and that's important. And we definitely see the value in them. There's definitely a ton of value from a, a partnership side of things as well, but from a day-to-day business standpoint, I actually think sometimes that it serves as a little bit of a distraction, um, for staff. So we don't have a huge issue with embracing it. Uh, I think it, it could be actually the opposite um, to some degree. That's interesting. I do. I, I always I find myself thinking about the NFT process a lot. And, you know, it's interesting to me as somebody who's been in the industry for a long time that I don't always fully like see the whole picture maybe, or I don't fully like grasp the whole thing maybe, but I, I look at it and say, it does kind of connect to the fan experience, like that desire to feel connection to your team, right? Is that kind of how you can almost view it in some ways? Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think every league's different too. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think, I think credit to the NBA, the reason, you know, top shot and has been because they can use players, they can use team mark. Look in the NHL right now, you know, we, we don't have the ability to use um, our players and our NFTs. And so that really hampers how much effort and time we put into it because at the end of the day, you know, they're our product and, and they are what our fans want. Um, and so I think it varies by league too. Look, I think if we were able to feature, you know, Sasha Barkoff or feature a, you know, a quick clip from a goal last night in an NFT or wh- whatever it may be, yeah. uh, we'd probably put more time and effort into it, uh, because, you know, that's what really moves the needle. Um, but right now with, with the restrictions, you know, we have from, from a league level, you know, it probably does temper our expectations and our time that we put into NFTs versus, you know, like I said, maybe the NBA or some of these other leagues. One of the things I found really interesting doing some research on some of the things the Florida Panthers are doing and your team are do- is doing is that you guys have really invested in um, the business analytics side. And we always think of analytics, a lot of people interpret analytics as the, you know, analyzing on ice performance or something of that nature, or athlete performance, et cetera. But really there's so much that goes into the business side of it. One thing I read about was your partnership recently on predictive on their predictive retention scoring model. Yeah, it's really cool. I got into it as I was reading and understanding how it all worked. But can you give kind of an overview of of what that means as predictive retention scoring model? Yeah. So you know, look, we we have been blessed with investment from ownership into Panther Insights. Uh, that was one of the big things. You know, when I got here, that you know, I said we really need to invest in, and, and here's why. 
Um, and so it's not just been, you know, we'll get into the software, um, which was a, a major investment for us, but it's also been people, right? Yeah. Um, you got to have the people uh, to make it work. But, you know, Stellar Algo, um, you know, they, I worked with them uh, when I was with the Coyotes, was very impressed. Okay. Um, and, and so when I got here, I said, look, we have to have this tool and here's why and, and because of our market. But, you know, one of the things you're talking about in terms of kind of AI retention scoring is, it will tell me basically the probability um, of you to renew your season tickets or your mini plan or whatever plan you have with us um, for next season. And it does it in real time, you know, by the day, by the game. Um, and for us, think of that as a service rep, as a business, you know, understanding who who's kind of on the fence, understanding, you know, who's going to renew no matter what, understanding, you know, of your first year season members, you know, who is going to renew, who's not. And being able to address that, um, you know, on the fly, not getting to that renewal point of the season, right? February, whenever that might be, and being surprised at your renewal rate. Right now, you know, we know what our renewal rate's going to be for the season uh, for next year, right? We know what we need to do, whether it's more touch points, whether it's, you know, per, you know perks and benefits, whatever it might be to maybe move that percentage up, right? So, you know, it's 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 a huge tool for us. It, it, it you know, work smarter, not harder, yeah. especially with, with less staff. Um, and it allows us to be quite frankly, like I said, more strategic with our time. So it's, it's a, it's a massive tool for us. It also helps us approach that customer in terms of, you know, how do we want to upgrade them or upgrade their package or, you know, address any objections that they may have. So, um, it, it's a major, major win for us. It sounds like something that would work very cross-functional across departments too. So you guys might be gathering the data insights, but then you have to work with sales and marketing to actually put an action plan together to, you know, talk to these people or give them more perks or more benefits. So how important is that to be able to communicate and work and lead cross-functionally amongst different groups within the, within the organization? Yeah, it's huge because we also know their lifetime value as a fan, right? Um, so we can strategically comp, right? Um, yeah. Some individuals, um, we, we know what they spend on F&B. We know what they're spending on. We know what they spend on merch, uh, if they bought a Barkoff jersey, maybe when it's their birthday, we you know we send them a Barkoff birthday card, right? So, <laughs> so um, smart. You, it, it touches every single department, um, and I think I think I think probably you know the thing that's been most uh, encouraging for us is just the buy-in, quite frankly, that we've gotten from every department. Every department wants a login. Every department wants to you know learn how it works. So I, I think that's probably been the most exciting thing for me is you know. A lot of times, I think teams are guilty of bringing on too much software or too much technology. Yeah, the best tool uh, is the one you used, right? Correct, correct. So, so we're focusing on that, and so to me, the refreshing part has been um, just the buy-in and how many individuals have have wanted to use the technology. I mentioned name, image, and likeness, and we've talked about a lot over the last year, especially as it relates to student athletes and the opportunity that it builds for them and for athlete marketers as they help these athletes build their brands. But let's look at it from the organizational side. You guys have jumped into this. You know, you guys have really taken a foothold in it. How have you approached NIL as an opportunity for your organization? Because I know that you've done some work with some local colleges as well, right? Yeah, yeah. We were we were the first professional team uh, to sign an athlete. And then we were the first professional team, or I think any organization, uh, to offer an NIL deal to an entire um, female uh, athletic department. Um, and so... You know, we wanted to be the first. That was one of those things, like I told you, I thought we could make a really big splash. Um, and so, you know, both both deals have been huge wins for us, um, not only from a student-athlete standpoint, but a PR standpoint, from an organizational 
uh, standpoint, from a buzz standpoint, look, De'Aaron Keen was here last night. Um, he got hurt, right? No longer playing uh, for Miami and being their quarterback. A lot of people have asked me about it. Quite frankly, it hasn't really impacted um, our deal or, or the way we we view the deal with with Derek. We got the initial pop, uh, but beyond that, Derek's an unbelievable um, young man. Uh, he still has a lot of appeal in this market, and he's exactly uh, what we want representing the Panthers. And so he was at the game last night. We're still activating uh, on a lot of our deal points um, that that we have as part of the deal with Derek. Uh, and so that's gone well. And, and, you know, with, with Florida Atlantic, uh, university as well, and, and their female athletes, um, you know, the response there has been really, really positive too. And we're looking forward to getting them out to a game. So, you know, both unique opportunities for us in this market to really make a splash and, and connect us with two very, you know, distinct different universities and, and two areas that, you know, a lot of our fans and our fan base, uh, have affinity to. And so we'll continue to look um, at opportunities like this in the future. You know, I know I can say for myself, like I kept approaching it from the student athlete opportunity, but to look at the way organizations have approached it too and say, we can do good in our community. We can help people out and build our brand. It's that kind of everybody wins situation that you don't always run into. So that has to be a yeah. kind of a nice benefit of this. Yeah, and that, and that was what was so important about uh, the FAU deal to us, right? The, yeah. the community aspect of it. Um, you know, those those female athletes are unbelievable. Probably do not get enough um, shine, uh, we, and we wanted to support them and support a, a local university to the best extent that we could. Um, and then with with Derek, you know, yeah, there was some enterprise value for us and in, in that association. But he's also an unbelievable kid yeah. uh we wanted to help support you know miami um and so we'll, we'll continue to look at these deals um you know as we move forward will they have as big of a splash uh, as much pr probably not because kind of the shine is off of it a little bit yeah that said uh i think there's still going to be an opportunity there for us and, and for the student athletes and so uh you know i think a lot of pressure is on us quite frankly because of what we done have done in, in both spaces um, and so, you know, I, I think I have one more thing up my sleeve, um, on that end moving forward and then it might get a little bit tougher, but you know, we'll, we'll continue to be active in that space. All right. Can't wait to see what that is. That sounds kind of cool. Thanks for wetting our appetite there. Of course. So let's shift to, shift to staffing a little bit. Sports organizations aren't just there for entertainment, they're a revenue generating operation. You have a background in sales and marketing before getting into the chief strategy role. How important is for young people trying to come up in the industry, trying to build their brand, trying to build their experience set to really focus in on the revenue generating sides of an operation? Like, is that the that essential skill that needs to happen? I, yeah, I think now, um, yes, I, I do. And I, I think, um, look, I, I, I think I shared my story at some point, but, you know, when I, when I was in marketing, I want to say I, you know, I realized how important all of the revenue channels were. And, and, you know, that's why I think I have carved a unique path. But, you know, when I look back, I was really naive um, to, to the effect that, you know, social and our marketing had on all the different channels and how, you know, sponsorship played into it and, you know, the presented by and, and everything. And so, you know, I think now more than ever, the biggest skill set um, is being a Swiss army knife. I, I think you have to be, you know, dialed in even as a ticket rep on understanding sponsorships, understanding marketing, understanding social media, understanding BI analytics, um, because, you know, with today's workforce with, you know, post COVID, I think the more tools that you have in your toolbox, the more attractive you are to uh, employers. And, and quite frankly, I want different opinions. Um, I, I think that's been the refreshing thing the last couple of years in the industry is, you know, it's no longer 
you know, my way or the highway, or this is the only way of doing something. I, I, I think people value uh, different backgrounds and different opinions now more than ever. I try to listen to, you know, our ticket reps. Uh, I try to listen to our social media, whatever it may be on any and everything. If they have an opinion about a different department, I don't think that's a bad thing. So um, I, I think the more that you can learn about the revenue generating departments, the better. But I think just be well-rounded uh, in, in everything because I, I view that as a real asset, you know, as, as I'm hiring somebody. That's good. That's really good. So you've personally jumped from, you know, San Antonio Spurs to Phoenix Rising to Arizona Coyotes and now in Florida with the Panthers. I've done the same thing. I've jumped across the country for various roles. I know most people have in the sports industry. How important is that for young people to kind of frame their mind around this concept that sometimes in this industry, you have to move out in order to move up? I mean, because sometimes you do. You see those. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I shared this with you last time, but I, I think it's the number one uh, I think the days of staying in one organization and moving up from the bottom and the top are, are few and far between. Now you can do it, right? But the path is going to be a lot longer. Um, and so, you know, I, I always challenge my staff to be quite frank. Um, I'd love to have them for five, six, seven, eight, nine years. But if I've had them for, for two or three years, I'm sitting down with them and, and figuring out why that is, you know, where they want to go. You know, if we have opportunity for them here to advance, that's really, really important for me. And as we're resetting our, our staffing structure, I've made sure we have those gaps so we can um, give them that path because I don't think that necessarily existed at other places um, that I was at. But I think the number one way in this industry to make more money, uh, which isn't always the most important thing, because I think fit is most important. Um, and if you find the right fit, the money will take care of itself down the road. But, you know, for some, it, it is important. So I'd say the number one way to, to make more money, uh, but most importantly, I think move up in this industry is being able to move. Uh, and I'm shocked, to be quite frankly, since, um, you know, I'd say the last six, eight, 10 months, the amount of people that are un unwilling to move, quite frankly. And I think some of that is has is, um, you know, everything going on in the world and, and COVID, you know, values have changed um, a little yeah. bit. So so I think for those that are still willing to, to move, the opportunity is probably, you know, two times 3x what it was pre-COVID um, because, you know, more and more people just aren't willing to do it. So to me, that was my biggest um, asset. I knew what I was signing up for. I kind of in my head knew how I was going to, you know, kind of, you know, I play the game is not the right word, but, you know, go stop to stop. And like I, I think I shared with you a couple of years ago, you know, I, I don't worry about those who've kind of, you know, jumped around. Now, there is a certain level. Um, you have to have some good reasons, right? You can't just jump around, roll to roll and not get a promotion. I, right. you know, I, I think you got to go like a step up when you are moving. If you're just, you know, hopping uh, in, in the same role, that's that's not a good sign. But I think, you know, I think if you continue to move up, while you move, um, I think people are going to understand um, that move. That said, um, there becomes a point where having some stability is important um, on your resume. But I think that's later in your in your career, a bit like mine. So you know, now you know, for me, I don't plan on on going anywhere, and that's the beauty of once you get to a certain yeah. point, uh, you no longer have to move. But I, I do think it's difficult for. For those breaking into the industry um, where, hey, I love Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't want to move. Well, you know, if you want to work in sports, then you've really narrowed your pool, right? right? Um, and, and you've narrowed how, how quickly you can move up. So Yeah, your ceiling um, is, yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I think it's the single most important thing. You mentioned fit too. How do you establish that? Like what have been those key things you've learned through your career about what fit feels like? Like what does that look like in actual practice and how did you discover it? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people um, look at the title or look at the money and, and make their decision based off of that. And for me, I was always looking at the fit because I knew as you take a step up the ladder, the money is going to come right with that position. And so, you know, you, you have to find uh, an organization that aligns with your viewpoints, right? I think depending on where you're on in your career, I think process is very important early on in your career. Um, and so, look, I was blessed, quite frankly. Um, I was coloring outside the lines a little bit uh, until I got to the Spurs. And then at the Spurs, I really learned what process looks like, what structure looks like. But then there did become a point where, you know, I, I got that down and I wanted to, to push boundaries and I wanted to innovate and I wanted to do new things. And I knew, um, you know, that I needed to look elsewhere to find that. So then it was, okay, what is the right fit for that, right? Yep. Uh, and then USL and Phoenix Rising was was the perfect fit for that. And then after that, it, you know, so you have to figure out where you are at your career and what you want and then match that um, with, you know, kind of a structure uh, or I guess organizational, you know, viewpoints uh, and opportunities that are out there for you. So, um, you know, sometimes the toughest move is the right move. Um, and I, I think a lot of times people look for easy or look for, hey, it's ten thousand more dollars, or you know, I'm going to be a manager or whatever it is. To me, um, sometimes that move that feels a little uncomfortable is probably the best move. Yeah, I can say from personal experience too. I can think of two or three jobs off the top of my head that I ended up turning down during the interview process because I knew it wasn't the right fit. Yeah, you can sense these things too, and you're like, if we're not aligned, we're not seeing things the same way. It's like that's not going to fix itself. Correct. So sometimes you have to. Sometimes you look back and say that job I didn't take was actually the smartest decision too. So and sometimes it's hard, right? You get an offer from X, right? It Which is. was oh yeah, the money's the team right or, or the organization. Yeah. You always wanted to work for. You can put on blinders. Um, I did that. It was at a, a sports network in my hometown. I wanted to go back home, be amongst family. You can put on these blinders and say, I want to make this work. But you have to trust that instinct sometime to say, it's not quite there. Yeah. And don't, and don't be afraid to take a chance. You know, I think that that would be, you know, you, you can, you can take a couple of chances um, in your career, right? Take, take a couple swings at the bat. You can't strike out, right? You probably can't take three strikes. Yeah. Uh, you're probably a little bit more free swinging on strike one. Uh, when you have two strikes, you got to kind of choke up on the bat a little bit and probably yeah. a little bit of a safer thing. But I, I don't be afraid, you know, on your first strike to take a big swing at the bat and, and take a chance. We'll finish up with this because I know you're busy and you got a lot of things going on, but I just want to get your last viewpoint on this. We talked a lot about innovation strategy. It always seems like there's new things coming up. Are there certain things you're kind of keeping your eye on now that have kind of piqued your interest that may be in the future? I'm not asking you to lay out any brand secrets, but are there certain things that are happening that you're like, okay, that could be interesting? Uh, I mean, I think sports betting, right? How that affects the in-game experience. Um, I think the evolution of um, gamification of broadcast, um, also the way broadcasts are changing, right, with the RSNs. And then, you know, I I think there's going to be a lot of you know, AI centric things when you walk into arena, um, you know, you, you, you won't need, it'll, it'll be facial recognition, right? You won't need a ticket, you know, it'll know what you want to order. Um, so I think things like that, um, you know, I, I think quite frankly, the season ticket is dead. Um, you know, there's some different things we're doing on the, on that front, um, that are different than, you know, even some things that are out there, you know, right now that we're going to take a look at. Um, so I, look, I, I think, 
you have to be a value add these days um, to, to really break through with your fans. I think it's no longer you can take them for granted uh, because I, I think fans are more sophisticated now than ever. Uh, and they're looking for the team, quite frankly, to be a value add um, to them, uh, where in the past, I think it was the opposite. So I think teams are more prepared now, um, thanks to COVID. I know that's a terrible thing to say. But the industry probably needed COVID um, to wake up and get out of the the old school mentality. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of teams are probably more prepared for the future now more than ever. Um, but I think the next two years are, are crucial to our business. Um, and not every team, you know, this year is going to return to pre-COVID levels. And I think how teams respond to that uh, is going to be very interesting. Amazing stuff, Sam. Thanks so much for your insight. Thanks for jumping back into this conversation again. I know our audience loved hearing from you the first time. They're definitely going to love it even more this time. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Sam for coming on this show. Such an informative conversation. Longtime listeners probably remember Sam from before. He was one of our first episodes three years ago when he was a VP of sales and marketing at Phoenix Rising. And now as he's moved into this role, it was like, all right, we want to get Sam back on because he's such a great interview. I hope that you are listening and understanding all the messages he was giving you. He's telling you what they think in the executive level decision-making in the sports industry what those important innovations and technologies and growth sectors are. Really important if you're listening to know what the teams and leagues out there are intrigued by. A lot of great knowledge you can get from that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen and keep being a part of our community. I appreciate every one of you. 